Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store. Orleans Cape Cod. Birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. By L.L. Bean. Inspiring you to get outdoors. LLBean.com. By Celestron. Offering binoculars and scopes for birders of all levels. Celestron.com. And by Birds and Beans Shade Grown Bird Friendly Coffee. Birdsandbeans.com. Good morning. Welcome to our show number 671. That's a little piece of music called Amazon. And it's here by way of introducing a man who returned just a few days ago from leading a cruise on the mighty Amazon River and tributaries. He's also the author of the highly acclaimed Introduction to the Flora and Fauna and Ecosystems of the Tropics, the Neotropical Companion, and the new revised and expanded version, the new Neotropical Companion, professor of biology at Wheaton College, and he's the author of a fascinating new article in a recent issue of Birdwatching magazine entitled Trade-Off, Why Migratory Birds Make Long Annual Journeys While Their Close Relatives Remain in the Tropics Year-Round. He's John Kreitcher, and we're honored to have him right here in the Talking Bird studio with us this morning. Good morning, John. Good morning, Ray. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, it's great, great to have you. And I wonder if we might start off, John, I would ask you to paint a little picture about your Amazon River cruise and maybe what a first-time visitor uh, might expect to experience on such a cruise. Well, well, the Amazon River, as you well know, is the world's largest river in volume and in length. And just being on it is a special experience mm-hmm. for that reason alone. Mm-hmm. But of course, it's also in one of the highest biodiversity areas, if not the highest on the planet. And so going down to the Amazon just offers so many different natural history potential uh, that uh, I think anybody who's interested in natural world would want to be there and it's never been easier to get there i was on a i was i had the honor of uh leading a trip for sunrise birding it's a company from uh connecticut and uh it's a great company to work with and we had a dozen folks down there on a boat called the zafiru uh there are a number of different boats now that Mm -hmm. specialize in eco tours and the zafiru is probably the number one uh in terms of of that and we were on the amazon and uh ukiali rivers seeing river dolphins all kinds of birds ranging from hoatzins to about 10 species of parrots 10 species Mm -hmm. of monkeys uh Uh, It was amazing. Wow. Well, we know sunrise birding. We did our Galapagos trip. Uh, through uh, through their auspices, and mm-hmm. they are they are terrific. Well, continuing on our neotropical theme, uh, John, you recently wrote an article for Birdwatching magazine about why birds in the seemingly friendly and warm American tropics would want to leave there and embark on a perilous journey to North America in the spring. And I'll ask you about that shortly. But right now, a neotropical bird is here to serve as this morning's featured feathered friend. Presented by Birdwatching Magazine. For more than a quarter century, Birdwatching has been North America's premier magazine about wild birds and birding. Sometimes, when you're really small, you have to do things to get noticed. That seems to be the case for today's featured feathered friend, 
which draws attention to itself through its constant motion, its scratchy but intense calls and song, and the side-to-side flicking of its long, white-edged tail. That tail, along with its high-pitched nasal songs and its general color, have earned it the nickname Little Mockingbird. The bird is the blue-gray gnatcatcher, a lively hunter that flutters among shrubs and trees, using that tail flicking to scare up its hiding insect prey. It's the only member of its genus that's truly migratory, and it's found farther north than any of its gnatcatcher relatives, breeding over much of the U.S., where its nesting range has shifted northward since the early 20th century. It has moved up a couple of hundred miles in the last 25 years, in step with increasing average temperatures. The blue-gray gnatcatcher, which also sports a distinctive white eye ring, is a frequent victim of nest parasites. It fights back against those threats by building as many as seven nests in a single breeding season, often speeding up the process by reusing material from previous nests. Our bird is, like many others, not entirely well-named, since gnats don't make up a significant part of its diet. Its scientific species name does hint at that bluish coloration. It's Polyoptila cerulea, the blue-gray gnatcatcher. Today's Talking Birds featured Feathered Friend. Thanks again for being with us here. It's our show number 671. We'll be back with our guest, John Kreitcher, in just a couple of minutes. Right now, we congratulate the latest winner in our Talking Birds Make Your Own Swag contest. And the winner is Andrew Stokes. Way to go, Andrew. Andrew sent us an absolutely stunning photo of himself perched high above a river at Smith Rock State Park, north of Bend, Oregon, where he says he got some looks at Barrow's Golden Eyes, Cliff Swallows, Black-Billed Magpies, American Kestrels, and his favorite peregrine falcons, all while proudly displaying a talking bird's patch on his binocular case. We'll be sending Andrew an awesome book from our awesome book library, and he's eligible, as is everyone who sends us a make-your-own-swag photo. For the grand prize, a Celestron Hummingbird Micro Spotting Scope. If you'd like a patch, just request one by email to ray at talkingbirds.com, and we'll send you one or several if you like, along with complete contest instructions. But hurry, the deadline is April 15th. That's the sound up on the breeding grounds of our mystery bird. It's a large, deep-diving water bird uh, feeding mostly on fish. This, by the way, is a preview of our mystery bird contest. Coming along a little bit later on the show, we just wanted to get you ready for it. It has a thin bill and a long body that slopes to the rear. It's pale gray and white in the winter when we're likely to see it in the northeast and in the summer up north in breeding territory. Dark gray, the front of its neck is red. It's a large water bird, but the smallest member of its family. That would be some of the clue material there. And we have a beautiful prize package, including a Droll Yankees cute chickadee feeder from Audubon Park, a woodpecker seed cake, woodpecker bar, and premium trail mix blend. Four and three quarter pounds worth. Plus a download to your iOS device or online access to the LarkWire app, the app that makes uh, learning... Uh, bird sounds, a game. So those are the prizes. We'll 
We'll initiate our contest in uh, just a little bit. Extra, extra, read all about it. Here are some of the stories uh, and videos we have for you on our Facebook page this week. An American woodcock struts his stuff. Check out a short but cool video from the Moosehorn National Wildlife Refuge up in Maine. Our friend David Clapp is currently leading a group tour in Australia and New Zealand, and he sent us a sweet photo of a Salvin's albatross soaring over the ocean with one wingtip slicing through the water. We'll have other pictures from David, too, coming up on our Facebook page. And thanks to Martin Finucane at the Boston Globe, one of America's great newspapers, for calling on your humble Talking Birds host for assistance with an article about the birds singing in your backyard here in the spring. Find a link to it on our page or at bostonglobe.com. That's some of what we have for you on our Facebook page this week. Well, we'd like to say thank you to some more wonderful Talking Birds ambassadors who have joined our ambassadors program, including Frank from Ashaway, Rhode Island, who says, can I also get a Talking Birds emblem for my hat? We're watching the hummingbird, uh, hummingbird migration maps and estimating April 25th this year. We had about 30 rubies all summer 2017, and my wife, Susanna, is running eight feeders in her personal sanctuary. They're fascinating to watch, says Frank. Also, thanks to Nancy C. from Newburyport, Massachusetts. Thank you so much, Nancy, for becoming a Talking Birds ambassador. Thank you to Maureen G. from Beloit, Wisconsin, who also requested a couple of Talking Birds patches. We'll send them right out to you, Maureen, and thanks for becoming the Talking Birds ambassador. Talking Birds listeners, we hope you'll join our Talking Birds ambassadors program. Really easy to do. Just sign up by going to talkingbirds.com, click on the contact button and then choose the Become an Ambassador option. John Kreitcher is our guest, and we're back with him. Thank you for uh, waiting through that, John. It was a pleasure. (laughs) (laughs) So your article in Birdwatching Magazine is really fascinating. Trade-off about migratory birds and some of them making these incredible journeys from the tropics, while others just stay there and wave bye-bye and just kind of stick around for the entire year so we, we just wonder why why this is and this is part of what you talk about you you mentioned as an example the ruddy capped nightingale thrush yes uh that we're not familiar with around these parts and the veery which we do know so the nightingale thrush stays there the veery comes way up here up to the north american yes continent. And, they're in, and they're in the same genera they're very similar and they're evolutionarily quite closely related but you have one species which is residential all the time in the uh, tropics or subtropics in the case of that bird and um well tropics and then the veery which uh, undertakes this very arduous migration twice a year high risk uh, event indeed uh, but it works and so you have two different similar species but uh, one undertakes a long migration one doesn't there's a trade-off there mm-hmm. uh, there are advantages to the migration and disadvantages and there are advantages and disadvantages to not migrating 
One of the questions in bird migration, I mean, migration has always been the big mystery about mm. birds. At one time, swallows were thought to have dived into the mud uh, uh, and hibernated, or else they went mm-hmm. to the moon. I know some flew to the moon. Yes. Yeah, they, they were at the moon. Uh, and, and in fact, Neil Armstrong saw a number of swallows when <laughs> yeah, he was up really there. Uh, nice pictures. Uh, they were flying around. Uh, <laughs> but in any case, uh, I don't think even today, we birders who are as fascinated as we are by migration and who uh, flock, you should forgive the expression, to Mount Auburn Cemetery (laughs) every uh, spring to Mm -hmm. see them. I doubt we fully grasp exactly what is involved in Mm -hmm. the arduousness of of this undertaking by birds. And yet they do it, and they do it uh, generally highly successfully, but the question is why? Mm -hmm. And when you look at the birds of North America that migrate, and you look at the birds of the neotropics that don't migrate, some of the birds originated in the northern hemisphere uh thrushes probably Mm -hmm. um not sure about that but probably and some of them uh probably originated in the tropics Mm -hmm. and have evolved migration from the tropics that's been a debate for a long time which way it It, it works both ways it depends on the taxon that you're uh Mm -hmm. really focused on and it has been a debate uh Mm -hmm. for a long time but but debates can be oversimplified and i and i think each Mm -hmm. migration uh has its own story behind it but the trade-off I'm really involved with talking about, if you think of something like a Viri, uh, it will have a larger clutch size than uh, the nightingale thrushes, just as the wood warblers and orioles uh, that migrate to North America have, in general, considerably larger clutch sizes than their equivalent or similar species that remain in the tropics. And there's a good reason for that. Uh, when you migrate north, you have longer days, uh, so that's more time to forage. Uh, you migrate in concert with the emergence of insects uh, as the leaf out occurs. Now, that is getting a little uh, confused by climate change because the uh, long-distance migrants, for instance, are still cued probably by day length, and that isn't changing. But if leaf out is earlier, then these migrants are going to to get back uh, proportionally later relative to the emergence of leaves and and, and proteinaceous bugs. Mm-hmm. And so the local birds like the chickadees and short distance migrants are going to have much more access and do better. Uh, so that's, that's an aside. But mm-hmm. uh, when migrants come up from the neotropics, they have longer times to forage, they have more food uh, per hour to catch, and so they can produce a larger clutch size. And they ha- probably have a less uh, high threat of predation during mm-hmm. the breeding season. They can get it done, and then they're off again. Uh, whereas in the tropics, clutch sizes are small. A typical clutch size for a passer in the tropics is only two eggs, and mm-hmm. that's almost universal throughout yeah. uh, the neotropics, sometimes three eggs. Uh, they're open cup nests, and they're exposed, and they're exposed to everything from monkeys to snakes to army ants to wow. uh, cans, uh, you name it. And so, shockingly, uh, anywhere from high 80 to into the 90 percentile uh, of nests in the tropics fails, open Mm, cup mm -hmm. nests. Uh, And so these neotropical birds don't do very well on a per annum basis. But on the the other hand, they have a long time to nest because Mm -hmm. we have a very compressed breeding season up here. Mm -hmm. You come up here, you get it done, and then you leave. And in fact, our birds 
Baltimore Orioles, Scarlet Tanagers, they spend more time migrating in, in the tropics by a long shot mm-hmm. than they do up here. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas tropical birds, if the nest fails, wait a few weeks, try again. And they also have a longer life by which to nest. And that is the real secret. <laughs> when you ask what the demographics are of a chickadee population or a brown creeper population, uh, chickadees are lucky to live five years up here. Mm-hmm. And if you look at things like long-distance migrants, wood warblers like black poles, for instance, they're lucky to live three or four years. They have they get to do it about three or four times if they're lucky. Mm-hmm. Uh, but neotropical birds can live to be well over ten years. Um, uh, this was first discovered for mannequins in Trinidad, uh, which on their legs were banded and shown to live anywhere from 10 to 15 years. Now, the mannequin's a small bird, about equivalent in mass to something like a tufted titmouse. Tufted titmice might have the capacity to live 15 years if they're comfortable in captivity, but even, even without being long-distance migrants, the living up here in the temperate zone takes a toll. And so it takes a toll on the migrants and the residents. In the tropics, the birds do live longer. If you survive being a nestling and you fledge, and if you survive that, your prognosis for a long mm-hmm. life ain't bad. All right. And a lot of ifs, though. Uh, oh, yeah, but they that. don't they don't get around much. It's mm-hmm. like the proverbial guy who, it, it, they're all like George Bailey. They never leave Bedford Falls. <laughs> That's John Kreitzer. The article is called Trade-Off. It's in the April issue of Birdwatching Magazine. Uh, John is working on something else right now in a more expanded form, kind of a long-term project that we'll uh, hear about in uh, just a little bit. Meanwhile, up next, it's our Mystery Bird Contest in just one minute. Talking Birds, we're for the birds. And we want to say thanks to another Talking Birds ambassador who's helping to spread the word about birds and conservation. I'm Janice Dayton, and I'm from Marshfield, Massachusetts. I love the Mystery Bird Contest. I get my Audubon book out and I thumb through it. <laughs> I became a Talking Birds ambassador because I just want to spread the news because I think it's an awesome show. We learn something different every week. It's a great show, and I'm glad I could help. Talking Birds listeners, we hope you'll become a Talking Birds ambassador. Just visit our website, TalkinBirds.com. Click on the contact button and then choose the Become an Ambassador option. We'll send you some info cards to hand out to your friends and neighbors. That's the contact button at TalkinBirds.com. And thanks. Our Mystery Bird Contest is sponsored by Audubon Park Wild Bird Food. Look for Audubon Park next time you're buying food for your backyard birds. You're eligible in our Mystery Bird Contest as long as you haven't been a winner here in six months on the Talking Birds uh, show. And by the way, don't forget, you can listen to our show live online. We do, a show, we do the show live from 9.30 to 10 Eastern on Sunday mornings. Uh, let's see, the sound of our mystery bird up on the breeding grounds up north. Our mystery bird is a large, deep-diving water bird feeding mostly on fish. It has a thin bill and a long body that slopes to the rear. It's pale gray and white in the winter. In the summer, way up north in breeding territory, dark gray with uh, red on the front of its neck, which is, a, I think, a pretty good clue there. Um, 781-837-4900 is the number. We have a beautiful prize package here. The Droll Yankees Cute Feeder. 
is one of them. The cutest little chickadee <laughs> feeder uh, for any type of food. It even lets you manage the size of visiting birds with a height-adjustable dome. It's from Droll Yankees, makers of the world's best bird feeders. Plus an Audubon Park prize pack woodpecker seed cake, woodpecker bar, and premium trail mix blend. Plus a download to your iOS device or online access to the LarkWire app, the app that makes learning bird sounds a game. So those would be the clues and the sound and the, the prizes. On our mystery bird, and then there's the phone number, 781-837-4900, 781-837-4900. Meanwhile, Mike O'Connor has some thoughts about birdhouses. We'll check with him. It's Let's Ask Mike live in just one minute. It's spring bird feeding time. Are your feeders ready? Spring migrants are arriving and your backyard birds are hungry for nutritious food for breeding season. And Audubon Park, celebrating 60 years as a family-owned business providing food safety certified products, has the perfect food for the birds in your backyard. Find great spring feeding reminders online at audubonpark.com. That's audubonpark.com. And be sure to look for Audubon Park wild bird food next time you're buying food for your backyard birds. Now, a word from our friends at Birdwatching Magazine. For over a quarter century, Birdwatching Magazine has been North America's premier magazine about wild birds and birding. Whether you enjoy birds in your backyard or far afield, you'll find information in every issue to help you find, attract, identify, and understand birds. Regular contributors include Ken Kaufman, David Sibley, Pete Dunn, Laura Erickson, and other birding experts. Learn more at birdwatchingdaily.com. Down to Cape Cod we go. Mike O'Connor down there at the Bird Watchers General Store, Route 6A, Orleans, Cape Cod, Massachusetts. Uh, good morning, Mike. Uh, good morning, Ray. Congratulations on your show today. It's excellent. You've come a long ways from guests like David Clapp. This is really an upgrade. <laughs> oh, yeah. We've taken David right off the list there, I think. He keeps calling and asking to come back on again, but, you know. Just put him on hold. That's what I do. We try to remain strong. You know, put him on hold. I, that's a that's He's a good out of the tip. country. He can't hear us, so that's okay. Well, we have somebody else here who uh, may be visiting your store soon. Uh, Mike, you'd like to say hello to John Kreicher. Oh, John's awesome. He comes in a lot. He's uh, You know, I, get, I deal with a lot of birds, but he's like the most pleasant bird that comes in, and I always pick his brain. He's all, he always puts up with me, so i got to give him credit for that. Hey, Mike, you are just one unique tale, and it's a pleasure <laughs> every time I spend time with you. I go in there, and I just want to see you, and then I feel obliged. i got to buy something. Got to buy something. Yeah. <laughs> I put yeah. the guilt on you. Yeah, you do. That's don't let me stop you from buying stuff. That's, when, that's his main talent, is putting guilt on people who uh, come uh, into uh, this. No worries, Mike. You're going to be selling my book before long. <laughs> I <laughs> hope so. Get it ready. All right. So, Mike, you wanted to talk a little bit about birdhouses and specifically about where to place them, indoors or outdoors, for example? <laughs> or, uh, I'm, kind of more, I'm, I'm in the outdoor camp on this one. Outdoor, okay. And it's kind of controversial. <laughs> and I know a lot of people lost their birdhouses this winter because we had all these terrible storms and everybody's replacing them. And my, I have a couple of just quick advice because I know you got John on. Um, but when you put your birdhouse up, uh, make it sturdy. Attach it to a metal pole if you can. That's a little bit more predator-proof. Um, but... Because birds put a lot of time into their bird, you know, nesting, and you don't want it falling down in the wind. Mm -hmm. So if put it up as sturdy as you can. You don't have to put it up high. Put it up about five feet so that way you can look in it and maintain it and keep an eye on it. Don't You don't want to put it up top of a tree and it's where you need to climb a ladder. As a matter of fact, trees are probably the least 
the best place for them because that's where the predators, the raccoons, run up and down trees all the, all the time. So even though the birds will use them, if you can put it on a pole a little bit out in the open, maybe on the edge of a garden, on the edge of a lawn, that's a better place. And then the other thing is where to face the hole. Everybody apps about that. I always tell, because birds, you know, they ha- might have their favorite direction, but I always tell people, put it the hole where you can see it from your house. Because mm. it, kind of the reason why you do this is to see the bluebirds or the chickadees feeding their babies. And if you put it on the back of a tree somewhere, you don't even know what's going on. Then it, it, it takes some of the fun out of it. So I say put it on a, a short metal pole facing uh, part of your house away from the windows a little bit further into the yard and away from your feeders because that's again what draws predators the raccoons sniff around your feeder at night so don't put it near your feeder at a different part away from the feeders that's my quick blast on that and i'll let you go back to john because i love listening to him talk all right i think we covered it there mike thank you so much and we will uh talk to you again uh uh, next week, we'll make sure David Clapp is not here. When you, uh, <laughs> okay. I'll talk to, you guys. talk to you guys later. Thanks. All right. Mike O'Connor down there at the Birdwatchers General Store on Cape Cod. If we continue to consume our natural resources at the rate we do now, by 2050, it could take three Earths to meet our needs. The Earth can't speak up when it needs help, but we can. Be the voice for those who have no voice. Visit worldwildlife.org. John Kreitcher is our guest. He has an amazing new article in the April edition of Birdwatching magazine called Trade-Off, about birds in the tropics and why some of them uh, come up here and some of them stay down there and you know, kind of why, why they do that and, uh, uh, and what. We're back at the Mystery Bird Contest. I knew I'd think of it. I think we have, uh, is it Vincent? In uh, uh, East Windsor, New Jersey, we'll play the sound of the mystery bird again first, though. It's a large, deep-diving water bird feeding mostly on fish. With a thin bill and a long body that slopes to the rear, it's pale gray and white in the winter. And up north in breeding territory, dark gray in the front of its neck is red. That would be our mystery bird. We have a Droll Yankees feeder, an Audubon Park prize pack and a download or online access to the LarkWire app as our prizes. 781-837-4900 is the number. And I think we do have Vincent in East Windsor, New Jersey. Good morning, Vincent. Good morning, Ray. I'm Ray. your ambassador from New Jersey. We, I figured that was you in East Windsor. And well, thank you. Thank you. Uh, Vincent's telling us he is a, a Talking Birds ambassador for the East Windsor metropolitan area in, in New Jersey. Whereabouts is that for people who don't know, uh, like uh, like me? Well, it's just about as central New Jersey as you can get. Okay. It's north, south, east, and west, smack right in the middle of New Jersey. All right. Uh, we'll say hello to John Kreitcher here, Vincent. He's with us in the studio here. Hi, Vincent. Hello, John. What about our mystery bird, uh, Vincent? What do you uh, what do you think that is? Oh, I believe is? it's a bird. I believe it's a bird that I got a, as a life bird at Sandy Hook National Park, the red-throated loon. Wow. John is giving some thumbs up here and uh, absolutely indicating that uh, you, you he believes you are correct <laughs> about that. Well, that's great. And if he says you're correct, that's good enough for for us here. We'll take Unfortunately, his... I've never seen the bird in its breeding plumage, but uh, mm. just in its wintering plumage. You know, you have a treat in store, and they're really quite spectacular. Sometimes you do see them in breeding plumage down here. You just, you know, if they linger. And by the way, Vincent, I, I should mention that uh, you often send us uh, photos uh, from from down your way, including these little eggs that you make. You're kind of a specialist uh, in decorating 
uh, eggs in a kind of a special way. Yeah, well, every year I love to make owl Easter eggs. I decorate them, and uh, but the faces of different owls. I love to draw birds as well as watch them. All right, well, we'll look for you on our Facebook page because we got some on there right now. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Vincent. That's Vincent down there in East uh, Windsor, New Jersey, correctly identifying our um, red-throated loon as our mystery bird. John, you've observed these birds a lot, I imagine? Oh, yes. I've seen, uh, well, hundreds and hundreds of them migrate mm -hmm. off the coast of New Jersey. And, of course, they're quite common here in Massachusetts in the winter. But I've also seen them up on the breeding grounds, and mm -hmm. they're magnificent. Hey, before we run out of time, we want to just talk about John's new project. This is kind of a going, it's going to be a while before this comes to fruition. But just to give folks an idea, you are working on right now the new Peterson Reference Guide to bird behavior. Yes, uh, that's for Hote Mifflin Harcourt. It's a series of books that uh, have been published over the years called the Peterson Reference Guides, named after Roger Torrey Peterson, mm -hmm. of course. And um, I thought it would be interesting to try and capture the essence of bird behavior for the general birder uh, and, and just anyone interested in trying to appreciate what bird behavior is. Mm -hmm. And I think studying bird behavior right now is the closest you can come to trying to understand understand an alien organism with an alien language and a profoundly high intelligence mm -hmm. and I think we underestimate that about birds and so my aim is to try and cover bird behavior in a way that excites folks and gives them real insights fabulous John thank you so much for being with us this morning John my pleasure Ray thank you John Kreitzer our special guest and thanks to Mark Duffield and Debbie Bleacher and our engineer Tim McKenney I'm Ray Brown see you next week Ray Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Birdwatchers General Store. For Lean's Cape Cod, birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. By L.L. Bean, inspiring you to get outdoors. LLBean.com. By Celestron, offering binoculars and scopes for birders of all levels. And by Birds and Beans Shade Grown Bird Friendly Coffee. Birdsandbeans.com.